Welcome to the Lovecraft Tales, a brief fictional interlude to tide you over until the next episode of the Lovecraft Tapes. Enjoy. Dan sits on the edge of the lumpy, uncomfortable bed at the screen door inn. He is staring at his phone, at the photo of Samantha Blaine smiling back at him, frozen in a happier time. The image breaks his heart. She has yet to pick up any of his calls, and he has yet been unable to leave a message for her. He fears what he must say. As the lonesome sound of croaking frogs resounds in the Texas night, he dials one more time and draws breath for courage to deliver awful words. Hey, Sam. It's, uh, it's me, Dan. I guess you already knew that, though, huh? I'm here in, uh, in Leland on a, b- a big case, you know? I I told you before I left. Uh, yeah. Well, I I I guess I can I can confirm that uh that that what they say is true. Um, that uh, everything really is uh bigger down here in Texas. Oh, they have some amazing barbecue that you would kill for if you still cared about food. Oh, God, barbecue. Hey. Uh, you you remember that one time we we went down to that joint in uh where was it uh, Arlington? Yeah, we we drove for hours because you just had to try their ribs, and I had never seen a, a girl devour meat like that before. Like, now I know you you were making jokes about how I was staring and that you know you're mom had told you to be more ladylike and that you should really take that advice and then you kind of burped in my face uh, you started to apologize like c- crazy and the whole time i just kind of sat there and after you stopped apologizing i noticed you had some sauce on your face so i grabbed my napkin and i reached over and and God, like I'm, I'm, I might have had a few too many to drink out of the mini bar. I'm getting sidetracked. Look, the truth is, I wasn't staring at you because you were weird or because it was odd, but because I couldn't take my eyes off you. Here you were, this smart, snappy, attentive girl who was unlike anyone I had seen at the university before. I I had never really felt that kind of connection, you know, the the one that you the one that you you really like to to gush on about in those dumb romantic comedies you watch. But I honestly think in that one moment I finally understood why I, it was uh, was something else back then and I think it was that moment that I really wanted to try to be more than just friends or co-workers and it wasn't just a, a one night thing with you either 
uh, you actually took the time to get to know me and not just boss and order me around assuming that I was a dumb security guard. You really wanted to get to know me for who I was. You know, before you came along, after I had moved off from the army and was, you know, still a little restless, um, I, I really didn't feel like I fit in at the university. I always felt like I was just so far out of place. Maybe it was just the war talking the PTSD or whatever. <sighs> but I never felt like I could relax. Like I could just kind of chill and, and be me around these these other people. The, you know, professors and, and the doctors and all these people, these fancy degrees. I just always felt like an outsider looking in. I mean, the the paranoia, the insomnia, the mood swings, that feeling of always being crushed, that need to be just alone, all disappeared on our first date and you made me realize that I didn't have to live like that that I didn't want to live like that and I really didn't want those feelings to come back god then came that one night at your place uh Remember the, the first time that you started to tell me about your dad and your family and your problems. Remember? Uh, we sat down in front of your television and I was just blown away because I did not realize back then that they made TVs that big. And despite your protests, I got you to watch a bunch of old horror films the whole time you just cuddled right up against me yeah i played that one kind of good didn't i but <laughs> uh, um oh oh god and the times you just jumped and screamed and i would just <laughs> i just sit there laughing at you the whole time <laughs> Uh, and then you, you would turn and, and whacked me with your pillow, insisting that oh, it wasn't funny, and I, it wasn't funny, and I just sit there and go, oh yes, it is. Uh, you, you started talking to me about how hard it was for you to be on your own while your dad was in his coma, how you missed him, how he used to be such a great dad, because. He was always there. Uh, all the soccer games, through all the cuts and bruises. You told me about the the bike, the but le learning to ride your bike. Uh, that one, that one, you almost cried on. And then you kind of went quiet, and I asked what was wrong. And then after a little poking, you went into what 
happened between your mom and your dad. And I could tell that even all this time later that it was hard for you. I could see how much it hurts. The divorce, the affair, the murder, the drugs that your dad started to make up and down to cope. Then came the day that no doctor thought would ever come. I remember getting a frantic phone call from you in the office. You were screaming and yelling at me to come quickly. The doctor said that he was waking up, that we had to be there. And so I drove you all the way across town to get to the hospital. And I'm pretty sure I broke several traffic laws. I might have I might have run a red light or two in the process. You know, I almost hit a, an old lady. At, and we got there just in time for you to see his eyes open for the first time in a long time. And I saw you smile so wide that I swear your face was just going to split open. And I could see that for the first time in a long time, you were genuinely happy. It's just really great to see you like that. That didn't last, didn't, didn't last long because he didn't come back the same. Or so you told me, you know, he thought he was Chuck kept insisting that we were his employees and that it was the 1950s and something about Greenvaleville Vol movies. I don't know. And then that goddamn quack of a doctor who was all gold-contented cow for a long week and that'll help. God, what a fucking prick. I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't fault him. He didn't know there were going to be a bunch of murderers up there that were going to murder people. It seemed like a nice place until the murder. I mean, I guess I really don't need to recount that we kind of lived through it. I just feel like I need to get something off my chest here, Sam. So listen. Listen to me for once. Don't put this phone down. Don't go off and read a book. I need you to listen to me now. Through that madness, chaos, crazy, and that hellhole cow. I was thinking of you. Getting you home safe was my mission, my priority. I can swear, after that explosion in the lobby, I heard you. You were there. Not there. You weren't there. You were... But in my head, I could hear you urging me on, telling me to keep going... And I did. That blood trail I followed, I thought I, I thought that that was your blood, that you were going to be a mutilated corpse like the rest of them. And I, I, I thought I, I thought I'd lost you. I pushed on, hoping that I was wrong. The things that were happening in my head. Uh, were you okay? Where were you? What if you were dead? How could I go on? I pushed on. Past the blood, the carnage, past the PTSD, the war flashbacks, all the blood, sounds, gunshots, explosions, all for you, Sam. I'd only do that for you. When I found you alive on that bed, you don't know how how relieved I was that I hadn't lost you. Then your dad 
disappeared and it was like losing him all over again. Sure, he was never very nice to me or particularly liked me or even tried, you know. Could have at least put some sort of effort into this. I mean, I was out there all the time and he was just shutting me down and not what this is about. I saw that it hit you hard. Harder than the first time. And I felt bad. I thought maybe if I had done something different, if I had come sooner, if I hadn't stumbled or fallen, I could have saved both of you and that we could all be happy. I don't think that your dad was the only one who didn't make it out of the contented cow. Okay? It hurt me just as much as it hurt you. I had to watch you through all of that. I had to... I remember the stories you would tell me about him, how how he was before all of this, how how he would sit with you for hours, tell you stories at bed, and how he would be there, and I really wish that I could be that for you, but it seemed like no matter what I tried, I couldn't quite fill that gap. I mean, it. I, you, you bounced back a, a bit. Everything was okay until Ryan and that goddamned fucking book. Look, I know it's gone. I was there. Me and Roy kicked it down that well. It went kaboom. There was a big monster. I shot it between the eyes. It was fucking amazing. You said you saw something in that alleyway and you seemed to be pretty convinced it was your dad because of some shoes. A lot of people wear shoes. I wear shoes. You wear shoes. Roy wears shoes. Petunia wears shoes. The bartender wears shoes. Just because you saw a a shoe print from a specific brand of shoe, it doesn't mean it was him. I promised you we'd go back, and we did, and we looked, and we hunted, and there was nothing there, and I kind of hoped you would move on. But no, it pushed us even farther apart. Look... I get it. Blood is thicker than water. I learned a lot about that in in the field. But you know what? Your ghost dad isn't here right now with you, putting up with all this obsessive book research with all the, oh, you don't understand, Dan, and it's too complicated for you, Dan, and just go somewhere else, Dan. You're bothering me. Do you know what? I You know who's here for you? Who cooks for you? Cleans up after you, pays the bills, buys you strange powders and mysterious oils from suppliers and countries on the other side of the world. I can't take this anymore, Sam. I just can't, okay? I'm here. I'm with you. I'm trying I'm trying to understand, to help, and all you do is give me stonewalled silence, and I got enough of that in the army. I don't want it at home. I tried everything. I could bring you back and all you do is push me away even further. I don't know who you are anymore, Sam. What happened to that smart, innocent, amazing girl that I fell in love with? The person who cared about me as me? The girl who went to college to make the world a better place because... Because I I miss her a lot. We can't go on. Not like this. Goodbye, Sam. With a shuddering sigh of sadness, feeling empty now, Dan hangs up.
The message is recorded. He could erase it if he wanted. He still has Samantha's voicemail pin. He could make it all go away like it never happened. He listens to the frogs crooning from some nearby pond out back of the screen door inn, and their song lulls him. He shuts off his phone, puts it on the bedside table, and tries to find solace in lonesome slumber beneath a threadbare blanket. The Lovecraft Tapes is copyright 2017. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com.